All right. Hey, when you met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only when you've met someone. Um, good to be with you guys. Hey, happy new year. Good to see you guys. Good to be with you guys. Hope you guys had a good new year celebration. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 2. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 2. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along. But Acts chapter 2 is where we're at today. Acts chapter 2. Keep your hands raised. I know they're coming. They're coming. They're looking. Um, hey, let me give you guys a few uh, quick things that are happening, some announcements, what's going on. Uh, so in two weeks, uh, January 19th, Sunday, uh, we are starting the book of Jonah. I am so excited for that. Uh, we're going to kind of approach the book just from this mindset of God's vision for a wicked world, God's vision for the lost. And so um, I'm excited to go through that with you guys for a while. It's a fun and intense book. It's Micah's favorite book right now, so it's fun for me to read that over and over again. Uh, but we're going to be going through Jonah in two weeks. Also in two weeks, we're starting a book, but it's our two-year anniversary. So it's actually the 21st, January 21st, 2018. Um, we had like our opening weekend. And so we're going to have a two-year celebration. God has been so faithful, and uh, we want to look back and just celebrate that. And so um, actually after church is over, we're immediately going to head over to Mayo Howard Park in Deerfield Beach. Um, so we're going to have like a barbecue picnic type of thing. We'll be grilling some steak sandwiches. It's, if you were there last year, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't mind actually bringing a side dish, we're going to put a link out there in our newsletter and it'll be online. But if you want to bring a dish and sign up, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, so kind of like a church picnic apocalypse kind of thing. So that's Mayo Howard Park. One o'clock will start. Uh, after church on the 19th. Cool? Cannot wait for that. Also, um, if you're here last week, I mentioned this. January 9th, we're having a prayer walk. Does it change? Sorry. January 9th, we're having a prayer walk. Um, so 7 p.m., we're going to park at the Cove in Deerfield Beach, and we're going to gather, like, get there at 6.50. We're going to kind of meet up, talk for five, ten minutes. We're like, what is a prayer walk? We'll talk about that more there. We're going to get a, just into groups of two, give you some things to pray over, and we're going to walk around Deerfield Beach and just pray. Just pray for God's uh, work, for renewal, for revival, for healing, for specific things. But um, there's nothing like being outside and kind of ha getting eyes to see like your community as you're praying for it. So uh, please join us. That's this Thursday, 7 o'clock. We want to start the new year just with prayer, seeking God, calling upon God. Cool? Does that sound good? And also, one more quick thing. Uh, this is the first weekend of the month in which we do uh, Serve Sunday. And so we'll talk about serving a little bit at the end. If you walked in and saw the back, today's a little different. You're noticing probably two things. You're like, one, Josiah again has another new shirt. I know, Christmas is great. I'm going to have a lot more new shirts. That All dads get is clothes. That's all we get. So you're like, I noticed that. And then this, this mic thing, yeah. Um, we're going to have a few people join us at the end and pass the mic to them and let them share a little about their group experience. So this is like, for us, it's part of our teaching series but it's also like groups kickoff, groups weekend, groups launch. Um, we run groups three months on, one month off. It's the start of the new year. So we're starting groups really today, tomorrow, um, with our leaders. So we just want to talk about that. So uh, we are in Acts chapter 2. And let me just kind of catch you up to speed. We've been going through spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. We've been calling this series spiritual formation. The idea is um, spiritual formation for us, the definition we've been talking about is being formed by the Holy Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. Hopefully you get that. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, being formed by the Holy Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. And so I feel like we've been ahead of the curve when it comes to this whole new year, new me, resolution kind of thing. We're trying to say, let's introduce some new habits some new lifestyles, some new practices, some new rhythms. 
hopefully you've been practicing some of the things we've been teaching on, and, and you've seen the change or the growth in your spiritual life. That is the hope. We're just trying to answer this question simply as this, how do we grow? How do we change? Everyone right now, this week, they're focused on how do we grow? How do we change? How do I actually see long-term growth and change in my life? And this has been about almost three months now of us talking through here's how you grow, here's how you change by practicing these things the church has had for a couple thousand years. And so we've talked about how there's intentional spiritual formation and unintentional spiritual formation, meaning everyone's being formed every day, either into the likeness of Jesus, you become more and more like Jesus or less and less like Jesus. There's no neutral. You're either unintentionally being formed or you're intentionally being formed by the Spirit. So I'm going to put this up here, because we did this like week one, week two, it might have been a while. Um, here's unintentional spiritual formation. It's the stories we believe, our habits, our relationships, our environment. These are the things that f- form us and shape us. Who we are today, who you are, it's the stories you believe, the, the narratives you, you live by. Maybe the, the lies or the truth you tell yourself about reality. The stories you believe, your habits, your relationships, your environment. So we are trying to say, no, let's have intentional spiritual formation. Let's change this. So we've talked about in place of the stories we believe is teaching, in place of our habits is practice. We've been going through this. In place of our relationships is community, is genuine community. We'll look at the difference. And then in place of our environment is the Holy Spirit. And so we're saying you're either unintentionally being shaped and formed or you're intentionally being shaped and formed. And so here's what we're looking at. Today we're talking about the practice of community the practice of, of community, that you and I were never intended to follow Jesus alone. You just don't see people following Jesus alone. You see it happening in groups, in small gatherings, in large gatherings. You might see apostles go off and plant churches, but even then they have someone with them. So we see this idea of following Jesus in community. Uh, there's something called Barner Research. They do a lot of like research amongst churches and what's happening, where, where, where are the trends going. And so Barna Research has some helpful tools in this while. They just put this out there. They say, among Christians who say spiritual growth is important, more than one-third say they prefer to pursue spiritual growth on their own, 37%. Similarly, two in five all Christian adults consp- consider their spiritual life to be entirely private. In other words, one of the problems revealed by this research is that millions of Christians believe that discipleship is a solo affair with only personal and private implications. We have to change this. You know, I think that there's a wonderful thing with Billy Graham in this movement where he talked about having a personal relationship with Jesus, which I so agree. We need a personal relationship with Jesus. But I think we kind of took that phrase, personal relationship with Jesus, to this extreme of like, and I can do it by myself. That is never the case. And so we kind of want to look at that, like redeem that, and go, how do we do this together? Um, There's an an article that came out recently talking about, and maybe you've heard these statistics, about 80% 80 of New Year's resolutions fail before even you hit February. By February 15th, it's like all of them. But 80% fail before even hit them. So Happy New Year. Sorry, I like to discourage you. You're like, why would you tell me this? I know. So here's actually one that is Forbes uh, wrote an article, Why Do New Year's Resolutions Fail? And I love this. Number two is this. Number two reason why New Year's resolutions fail, they wrote, the second point, you don't have an accountability structure to help you sustain change. You don't have an accountability structure to help you uh, sustain change. This is where community comes in. This is where this topic comes in. How do we sustain all these practices we've talked about the last several weeks? Like, I think community is kind of that, that place where you see them develop and grow. And so we want to get to that. 
And one of the reasons, too, I thought this was interesting. A lot of times resolutions, I think, fail. People don't reach them. And a lot of this has been written about this. Is there just unrealistic expectations? We're kind of idealistic. I want to do these big things. More and more sociologists are coming out saying, actually, instead of writing down five things you want to do, uh, what if instead you actually had, I want a word for the year? Like, if your word is healthy. If your word is, and like that word for the year, whenever you kind of begin to second guess, you kind of have that word. So we did this last year as a church. We kind of looked last year at 2019 as the year to build. Like build God's kingdom, build into families, build discipleship. We looked at like the year to build. And if maybe you remember, do you guys remember that little hammer we passed out, the little hammer keychain? Maybe you have it in your keychain. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I always get asked, what does that little hammer mean? Maybe you didn't get that. But it, we had this little hammer, it said build the kingdom on it. And so when you walked in today, I believe you guys got a little keychain as well with these little glasses right here. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, I want to explain this really quick. So uh, it's actually in 2018, when we were printed over 2019, for me, the focus of 2020, even then, as we approach this year now, was this idea of um, most church plants, I don't know if you know this, but most church plants before year three die. And there's kind of like when you meet with other church planting pastors, they're like, man, you never make it to year, and there's almost like this idea. Here's why I look at it. I go, God, we don't want to think like how do we just survive or get by. We want to have vision. We want to have vision for the future for five years, 10 years, 15 years. We want to be a church that plants churches that plants churches. We want to raise up leaders who say, I want to plant a church, and I want that church to plant other churches. Like, we want to actually be very intentional. So it's kind of sad because I feel like all the memes recently on social media have ruined this, but um, this is for us the year of vision. And you're like, 2020, I get it. No, actually, this is like 2018 before. I, I'm not that creative. I can't think. I'm like, for me, it was more like year three. We really do want vision, God. Let us not just see today. Let us pour into and invest in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. Let us be a church that plants churches that plants churches. And so um, here's what I want to look at. For us, this mindset is not that vision to me is progressive. It might be changing. We might hit your vision, might hit certain goals. And, and so we want to, as the year unfolds, kind of share some initiatives, some desires, some things as we progress. So here's why we have, we have you have this. Please put this on your keychains. And just as you look at this, think of this. Say, God, give me vision for our church. Give me vision for my life. Just give me vision for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us, help us see things from your perspective. God, help us see the spiritual realm and spiritual needs around us. My prayer is that God gives you a very unique vision. So when you look at this, just like I looked at my little hamburger, I'm like, oh yeah, build the kingdom. You just look at this and say, God, yes, give me eyes to see. Give me vision for future, vision for the moment. And so I just would love for you guys to like look at this. People ask you, like, actually, we're just praying for God's vision for our church and our lives and our families and our community. And so that's what this is for. Cool? Sound good? So here's the idea. We're praying for vision for our community. Here's the thing, guys. I would love, I would absolutely love for everyone to catch this vision, that you're not just called to come, but you're called to be a part of. I would love for everyone to catch this vision that you don't go to church, you are the church. You don't have community groups, you are a community that just meets. I would love for God to really kind of change how we view this. So I'm just praying for that. I'm hoping that you kind of ask some questions like, why does this exist? Why do we gather? God, what's the point of this? You know, we, yes, we're seeking, God, we want your glory, we want your kingdom to come, we want disciples to be made, and, and that's going to happen through community. And so, as we study the text today, I really do hope and pray, I've been praying for this weekend specifically, that God would, in a sense, bring this desire of, I'm, a, I'm called to a community of believers to live out the gospel of Jesus, to submit myself under the word, to be accountable to others, to encourage others, and to receive that. So, we're going to look at this more in depth, and I just pray that God takes us from maybe once in a while we see each other a couple times a month to... I see you weekly, I see you throughout my week, we're praying, we're texting, we're talking, we're meeting coffee, and God's genuinely bringing a community that he's called us to be. Amen, would you agree with that? Amen? So let's just read our text, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We're going to read through verse 47. 
the context is this. The disciples were scared. They're hiding in an upper room. They're praying, though. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Fire just above their heads. It's a crazy moment. Uh, Peter, they also begin to speak in different tongues. Peter sees a crowd out there. He preaches the gospel, and he's at the end of his sermon here in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So let's read. This is the end of Peter's sermon. Acts 2, verse 38. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. I love how the microphone got loud from a repent. That's good. Keep it like that. No. Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of everyone. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the for remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all those who are far off. That's us. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, uh, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, here's a little sermonette. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. That's it. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added, were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. It says, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. There's extreme generosity after that. Verse 46, so continually and daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added, again it says, it's the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When the Holy Spirit's poured out, people are saved, they gather in communities, there's extreme beautiful giftings happening, miracles happening, generosity happening, and just the Lord just kept adding to the church. That is a prayer for this community. Let's pray right now, and uh, we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just thank you. Um, I know that this can be a text maybe, maybe many have heard before. Maybe they've never heard. But Lord, let it be new. Let it be something where we can gather in the temple together, large group and house to house, eating meals. God, I ask that you would um, make our hearts open. God, make us teachable. Let my heart be teachable. We just ask that in this moment, God, you would speak and we would just obey. And we thank you. We just seek you now and ask that you be, be so present in your name. Amen. Uh, some of you are familiar with a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mentioned him once or twice. Um, Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany dur during World War II, and he actually ended up losing his life because he spoke a lot against Hitler and just his movement and against the war and what was happening. So he's a Lutheran pastor who gave himself to really helping save lives, to develop other pastors, preachers, to kind of speak up and really seek justice amongst a lot of corrupt things that were happening in Germany at that time. And during his time before he was, you know, obviously executed, he wrote a couple of books one of those books was called Life Together. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've read it. This book is essentially on community. He talks a lot about this. This book got out a little bit before he passed away. Some of his friends got copies of it and were just reading it. And one of his friends, who's also a pastor, got very concerned. To him, it sounded a little extreme. He's like, you have what? This community, this, you know, this gathering of people you're, you're kind of investing in, and it's kind of anti-Hitler and his army, and what are you thinking? You might lose your life for this. So his pastor friend came out to visit him and see what was happening with the seminary and with this community. So he goes out and he's visiting him and they're talking and the more he saw, actually the more he got concerned and he pulls aside Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he goes, man, this is, this is a little extreme. Like you're probably gonna lose your seminary. You're probably gonna lose your life. Um, the way you're doing things, you're speaking heavily against what Hitler's doing. I mean, you're gonna lose a lot. You're gonna lose it all. 
And the way that this relationship and the story goes is that Dietrich said, would you come with me? And they're in their little, I forget the name of the city, but they're in their little city and they cross over a river. They go up on this little hill and as they're on this hill, he's with his friend, you can see a military base and you see airplanes coming in and out. You see troops being trained. And Bonhoeffer looks at his friend because he can see the military base, but he can also see his seminary, his little community. And he looks at his friend. He says, you think we're a little extreme? He goes, absolutely. And he goes, but listen, look what they're doing here. Look at the training. Look what's happening. And he simply said this phrase. He goes, this must be stronger than that. This community must be stronger than what's happening with the enemy. And he, that was just a, a phrase that just rang out to me where it's like, us, this, this must be stronger than that. The community, the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ must be stronger than what our enemy is preparing for. And there is this idea for us that we go, man, this, this has to be, it has to be strong. It's like, is this a little too intense? Community living on mission, trying to invite people to know Jesus. I mean, can't we just go to church like once a month? Like, no, this must be stronger than that. The enemy is smart. He's strategic. We must be smarter, even more strategic. And I just love that phrase. So here, here's why I'm bringing this up today. We've talked about different practices. Remember this whole idea of we're training, not trying. Don't try to do these things. Train. You will train and fail, but you're, you keep training. So these are different practices. Do you remember practicing as a child? Do you remember, did you guys have forced piano or forced guitar or forced sports? And do you remember the pain and agony of that? Do you remember the pain and agony you put your parents through of like them dragging you? And you thought it was like horrific for you is way worse for them. I guarantee that. But do you remember the pain of that? I remember practicing to the point where like your bones hurt, everything hurts. And then eventually, for some reason, like it clicks. And you go, I'm not so bad anymore. And I kind of enjoy this and I kind of want to go. I once was crying, like, no, don't take me. Now it's like, let's go. I can't wait to go. And hopefully, maybe like that never happened. Maybe, but maybe, hopefully, hopefully that happened where that switch took place. Um, here's the idea for us in community. Sometimes when it comes to community, you might have this feeling of, I don't want to go. Groups, meetings, someone getting to know me. I'd rather like, you know, have social media where they can see the facade me. Like, I don't want someone to know the real me, right? And so there's a side of it where like, we can put up these walls. And I, I think even with leaders, sometimes you're like, okay, I got it. But there's something that takes place where when you go, you go, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I went. I felt heard. I felt loved. I'm so, I, w I didn't want to go. But looking back, I'm so... And so here's the idea. We want to practice this. It takes a while. It's hard. It's difficult. There might be tears. You might not want to go. You might go, oh, I have to go tonight. I'm so tired. It's been a long word. There's going to be all those emotions involved. But that's why we're practicing it. We're training it. Amen? Do you follow me? So let's talk about this. Um, practicing community. We're going to look at this. What is community? Why community? And then how to do community. So what is, what is this word community? Um, why? Why do we do this? Why is it so important, Josiah? And then how do we actually do it? So first thing is this, what is community? Like even that word, no one says that. Who says community? Like what is this thing? What is the church, the body of Christ? What is community? Few thoughts on this, if you would write this down. Um, first and foremost, a community, the church specifically, it's a new family. It's a new family. You've been called out of something into something else. So look at Acts 2, verse 40. Acts 2, verse 40. Remember Peter's small sermon? He says, be saved from this perverse generation. So we're all called out of something. We're all called from something. We're called out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. You know, we're called out of maybe a lifestyle that was just bringing pain to us or shame and hurt to others. We've been called out. God has saved us from hell Thank you, Jesus. He saved us from sin. He saved us from myself, my own habits and attitudes that are just terrible. God has saved us from so much, but not just from something. And I think the church, we can get stuck here. God has saved us from something, but to something. Do we get that? God has saved us from these things, but to the, a family. 
So we're saved from this perverse generation, ourselves, sin, hell, death. But we're saved to a family. You have a new family. The Bible talks about how you've been adopted into the family now. We have a whole new family. I love this. You know, my mom was adopted, and when she was adopted, she got a new mom and dad, and she got a new brother. And I love just the thought of adoption, what that does. And, and for me, it's funny because I think about the church, and I go, man, when you're adopted into the family of God, you, man, good news is you, you're, you have a new father. Difficult news is you got me as a brother. <laughs> you got the person next to you. Like, so you're, you're adopted. You have a new family. There's good things that come with that. There's bad things. There's difficult things that come with that. But you have this new family now, so you're saved from one thing to another thing. I really want you to understand something. Look at this moment here in Acts 2. It was incredibly powerful. Like, I want you to feel the weight of this glory. The Holy Spirit falls on people for the first time, meaning they're now filled with God's presence, God's Spirit. They're speaking in different tongues. People understand what they're saying because they're hearing it in their languages. Peter gets up and preaches the gospel, and he has to say, hey guys, I know it's 9 a.m., we're not drunk. I know it sounds crazy, but he left the, that's how he starts his sermon. It's a great way to start. He goes, hey guys, it's 9 a.m., we're not drunk. This is the power of God that you're seeing. And then he preaches the gospel. He walks through who Jesus is, what he did. And then he, it basically says people just heard that message, and they believed, and they're getting saved. And then you see signs and wonders. You see extreme generosity. And it, I want you to ask you guys a question. So if you're a leader, and that moment's happening, you're a leader, and you go, oh my gosh, the power of God's moving. What do we do? You know what they did? They go, let's meet in small groups. Like, it's a really weird thing to me. It's like, the power of God's moving, the Holy Spirit. They're like, oh my gosh, we need to meet in temple and house to house and just eat together and love each other and pray and ha- take communion. Remember Jesus' body. Like, it's so, it's weird how I just got like, pre- let's just do this now in smaller gatherings as well. They were now adopted into a family. Do you guys remember when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what can I do to have eternal life? We don't know his name. He just called the rich young ruler, Luke 18. And Jesus goes, well, keep the law. And he goes, I've done that since I was a kid. Jesus is like, no, you haven't. But so Jesus says, okay, we'll sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And what does it say next? It says, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And so he left. Now, here, I want to point something out in that story. Um, when Jesus says, sell it all and follow me, that actually, the way it's worded is, come and move in with me, join my community. He's saying, be a part of our community. Follow me, be a part of our community. So here's the idea. I want to point this out. What do you think is harder? Selling everything you have or following Jesus the rest of your life. I know initially you go selling everything I have. If you're a college student, you're like, that's the easy part. But you're thinking, what is it? what's harder? Selling everything you have or following Jesus? And I would suggest to you that day in, day out of I will die to myself every day and follow Jesus is actually probably a lot harder than the wealth part. What I'm trying to say to you is God has called us out of something and into something. You have a new family. God has said, be a part of this community. What is community? It is a new family. We'll keep going just for time's sake. Um, what is a community? You have the same common denominator, and that is Jesus. It says they shared all, thing, all things in common, and you kind of wonder, like, how is that possible? I think it's, I, the idea is they have the most important thing in common, and that is Jesus. Acts 2.42, let's read it. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If you've grown up around the church, um, the one Greek word you probably know is that word for fellowship, which is koinonia. Um, growing up in the church, I think I heard that word way too much, like fellowship, koinonia. We literally had like koinonia coffee. It was just, it was terrible. Christians like take something, hijack it, it was awful. Um, but fellowship was used for everything. But I don't know, what, when I say that word fellowship or community, it's like, what do you think of? Koinonia, this word, you have like all things in common, but it is, like I said, it's really been misused and abused by the church. I think we're like, oh, coffee and donuts, let's have some fellowship. I'm like, Ugh. Or like, you t- see Christian guys talking, like, what are you doing tonight? Oh, just fellowshipping, brother. I'm like, like don't, don't talk that way. We don't want to do that. 
I've seen guys like ask girls out like through text, like, hey, do you want to like get coffee and fellowship? Like, oh, this is, makes you cringe. Don't do that, please. The idea of koinonia or fellowship, it actually was a Greek understand a Greek word. This is something that like Socrates and Plato talked about. They, they talked about, will there ever be koinonia? I really want to understand this. This is not like a Christian thing. They're asking, will there ever be true koinonia, fellowship, unity, love, brotherhood, where people actually aren't having class, like, were there, will there ever be this? In their mind, this is like a utopian society. Even today, I think we have that mind. Like, will there ever be peace and love, this utopia? And they're saying, amongst people who love Jesus, there was this. There was what everyone was looking for, was like this peace, this brotherhood, this love, this service to one another. This actually was found in the church. It really did change the world. I love that different people who were not believers wrote about Christians back in like the first, second century, and they go, Christians are different. They go, they are stingy with their body, but generous with their money. While the world is generous with their body, but stingy with their money. I think the church does something completely different. Like when you've encountered Jesus, before you know Jesus, you are generous with your body. Who can I sleep with? What can I do? And you're stingy with money. This is mine. When you begin to love and believe in Jesus, you go, no, no, my body is God's. It belongs to God's. But I'm going to give everything else away. And you're, you're crazy generous. And like you see when people actually get in community, how just everything kind of turns, turns around. It's just completely different. This, cha- this koinonia, this brotherhood, this sisterhood, this love for each other, this I will sacrifice for your benefit, it is so rare and so unique. But this is what the world says, I want, I want that. What is this? What is your common denominator? What, what's the answer? Jesus. What's the thing you guys have in common? Jesus has saved me from and to. I mean, Jesus has rescued me, redeemed me, given me purpose and meaning and value. Why do we exist, Jesus? Why do we gather here, Jesus? Like, I want you guys to understand that, first and foremost, we are a, Christ, a, a Christ-centered church. Our desire is to say, we want to pursue Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, walk with Jesus. We're not, Jesus is a beautiful name. We sing his name. We celebrate him. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. I mean, this is what we have in common. I've said things like this before, but I really want us to get this. You and I have more in common with a Syrian refugee who loves Jesus than an American who does not love Jesus. Do we get that? We have way more in common with someone around the world who doesn't speak our language, who believes and follows Jesus, than someone who is in our culture and our climate, but they go, oh, I don't believe that stuff. See, we have something in, in common, and that's Jesus. What a beautiful, precious name it is. That's why we're here. My thing is this. They had all things in common because Jesus rescued them and redeemed them. Look around this room. You go, different ages, different genders, different social status, different whatever. And you go, what do we have in common? What, people go, what is this? How do you guys, this is so random. I know, it's Jesus. Do we get that? Like, I love, I look around our church. I'm honestly, I so love our church and what God is doing. Because I just think of Revelation 4, like all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all people groups come together saying, Jesus, you're worthy, you're good, we're following you, we believe in you, and that's what we're praying for. God, bring, just, bring diversity. Bring just different groups for ages and, and genders and co-ed. Like, we want, we want to see just the body of Christ reflected as we gather together. And so we see this happening. And so the common denominator for us, church, what is community? You have the same thing in common, and that is Jesus. And we'll keep going with that. Um, not only do the same thing in common, but here's what community is. Community is around a table. Do we get that? So when I talk about community, fellowship, hanging out, getting to know each other, understand that this is around a table. So can we read Acts 2, 46? Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, So continually and daily, with one accord, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. All right, I want to point out something. Community does happen around a table, but notice this. It says they met in the temple and house to house. That is so key. They had large gathering and they had smaller gatherings. 
You see, I think some people kind of get extreme, like, I'm so against a large gathering. It's all about house church. I'm only for, here's the thing. We see them do both. We see them come together, worship, sing, get on the same page, hear the same message. And then we see them in house to house, partaking of communion, praying for each other. Apostles' doctrine, that means studying the message they just heard. I love what's happening. This is our desire. How do we do this? This is like in the temple, large gathering, but also house to house. Notice again, that took place from the table. One of the best parts, I think, of following Jesus is Jesus eats a lot, and he calls us to eat a lot. I love that. Jesus is eating with everyone and anyone. He's like, hey, I'm coming to your house, and you're going to make dinner for me. He did that a lot. Um, or when he says, hey, church, when you get together, eat. Just come together around a table and eat. And honestly, is, is eating with this mindset even of, of, really, and I think this is beautiful, they would have like communion meals. Like, we kind of give you a little taste, like a little, t- little crack and a little juice. Like, oh, I'm sorry. But like, they'd actually have meals like, Jesus, we celebrate your body. We celebrate your blood. We celebrate who you are. We get full off that because, Jesus, you are filling. It wasn't just a little taste. It was like, oh, you're so good. And then you're eating the same bread, the same drink. That means that you're becoming one with each other. It was such a beautiful thing. And this is the idea of communities around a table. I hope, you've, I hope everyone here, if you've been here for now three, four, five, six months, it's like I hope you had coffee, dinner with someone. I hope you've sat around a table. If not, join a group. That's the whole idea. Like, how do we do this around tables? How do we do this together? Um, we're going to keep going with this, but community is not just around a table, but notice this, community is devotion. So in Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly, or maybe your version says, and they devoted themselves one to another. So the word devotion or devoted, can you say devotion? devotion. Like they're like, I'm all in. I'm all into the, po- I want to know the Bible, the apostles' doctrine, into fellowship, communion, breaking bread, sharing life together, prayers. Like I'm all, I'm all into this. Whatever this is, I'm all in. So the idea is it has to be consistent. You have to give yourself to it. Uh, there's a book that was written called Slow Church, and it kind of talks about this idea. So I'll share this quote from this book. Um, he says, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Do you hear that? Listen. What's our, what our topic today? Community. Spiritual formation, our series, occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is that simple, but profound, but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive, or we do not grow much at all. You either grow together or you don't. If you're not together, it's like, he's just saying, this is how it works. This is how God designed it. The 12 were together, the three, the 70. God just designed it to be this way in community. See, community is devotion one to another. I hope there's a sense where you look around and go, I'm, I'm in it with you, dude. Like, I, I don't know if girls like that way, but I'm in it with you. I love you. What do you need? You have a need. Let's meet it. I hope you can look around and just say, we're all in. Like, we're all into each other. We're all into serving, being with each other. And that, guys, that will take time. It sounds great in theory, but it will be painful. It sounds ideal, but it might be like, ah, oh, time? Yeah. And I might have to go, you, you make time for what, what, what's valuable to you. You make time for things that matter to you. You make time for things that go, this will be difficult, but good for me. Right? Like, it's like working out, it's going to be difficult, but it's good for me. Community is difficult, but it'll, it's going to be good for me in the long run. And so that's what we're trying to say. This is what community is. This is what God has called us to. But let's look at the why. So let's look at the why. Why community? Like, why? Why is it so important? Why do we talk about it? Why is the Bible talking about it a lot? Why did Jesus live life with people? So why community? Um, first is this. God created community. God created community. And I want us to get this. God made you for community. God created you and designed you to be in community. Why do you think people are like, I hate cliques, but they're in a clique? Like, we hate the idea of some of these things, but then we love it and crave it and want it. So I want you to see that God created this. God made us this way. 
God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Do you guys remember the verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? God made everything, and God's like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, everything's good, you know, it's good. I like that. It's good. And then he says, it says in Genesis 2, 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. So it says that God made him a helper comparable to him. And that's true. Yes, we look at the context of marriage, and that's a beautiful thing. But notice the issue. What was the issue? Man being alone. Man being lonely. And I do want to clarify something, because sometimes maybe... It can be like, well, if you're not married, maybe you're really missing out or it's not complete. No. But Jesus wasn't married, and I'd say he's complete and perfect. The idea is, you know, you will have community. It's not good for you to be alone. The issue in the Bible is isolation. I'm alone. I'm isolated. No, no one around. Who can I celebrate this, share this moment with? Think about this. Adam is, where's Adam? He's in the Garden of, of, of Eden. He's literally in perfect paradise, the way God designed it, but he's alone. Like, have you ever been somewhere, like, beautiful, but with, like, no one? Like, could you imagine going on your honeymoon alone? Like, no, like, that's not a honeymoon, that's, that's terrible. I remember Cameron and I uh, and her parents went to, on a cruise one time, and uh, we went to Jamaica, that was part of the cruise experience, and um, I remember I was so excited to go to Jamaica, I've never been, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're in Jamaica. Her dad was sick then, I was like, I'm gonna stay on the boat, and her mom's like, I don't wanna walk around, so they like, stayed like in that port area, and I'm like, I love you guys, but I am leaving, peace out. So um, I <laughs> went out, because I'm not gonna stay on the boat, so we, I went out, and I'm just like trying to like, get a taxi, and I'm trying to haggle, and it's not going well, and there's this like random guy in the corner, and a drone flies by, and we're, like, we start talking about the drone, and he's from my boat, and so we start talking about the drone, he goes, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, I'm trying to find a taxi and go find like a waterfall. He's like, hey, well, I rented like a private bus for my family. Do you want to like come with us? I'm like, yes. He's like, all right, you're one of the family. And I don't, I don't know the stranger, but um, I just start walking with him. I jump in this bus. His, the side door opens, his kids are in the back, and they're like, dad, who's this? I'm like, hey. Um, and I just joined his family. It's so fun. It's this big Catholic family. You know, they have like a million kids. So there's like six kids in the back. We're on this bus, and I'm like, where are we going? He's like, all right, some like some waterfalls and repelling. I'm like, I'll go with it, like whatever. And honestly, it's the funnest experience. So you know, it's like this waterfall. It's like, you know, you can get a rope, rappel down it, and the water's like hitting the face. It was so fun. It was so fun, but it's also like kind of miserable because you're like having a great time, but you're like, I can't share this with anyone. So it was weird because I got back to the boat later that evening. And like, I didn't want to tell McKimber, my family, how much fun I had. Like, yeah, it was okay. You know what? You kind of want to, and then you try to tell them. But, but then honestly, partially, it's partially kind of lonely. Like, it really was fun, but it really was like, I have, I have zero pictures of that. They took pictures, like, we'll email you. Never got an email. But, like, people don't know if that happened. So it's an amazing experience, but there's also like, I wish I could do that with the person I love the most. Like, why am I alone doing that? Here's the idea. God's like, it's not good to be alone. I've made you for, you want to have shared experiences, shared celebrations. You want to have shared difficult moments. All of it is so much better when it's shared. When something tragic happens, it's better when it's shared. When something amazing happens, it's better when it's shared. God's like, it's not good for you to be alone. Listen, God made us this way. Don't feel like, oh, what do I want to be with people? Because God made you that way. If you're like, why? I'm an introvert. Yeah, but that's why you're on your, your desire is to always somehow be a part of this still to some extent. So God designed us for, to, for us to be this way. And here's why I'm saying this. Listen, so why community? God designed it this way. But number two is this. Um, God is community. And even as i just trying to write that out, it's very interesting. God is community. I want you to think about God. That word Elohim is a plural word, but a singular. It's a very interesting Hebrew word, but it's the idea of it's God, but plural. So when you see in Deuteronomy 6, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. When you even read that in Deuteronomy 6, that word one is not like one, like singular. It's like husband and wife one. So this word akkad and akkad for one, one word would be used for the idea of like singular, like one piece of paper. One, that, one is like marriage, one, one. 
and that's the word used to describe God. I want you to, I'm, why I'm bringing this up is so important to me, and so important to us, it should be. Here's the thing, it's not like God existed before everything and was lonely. And God's like, I need some friends, let me just create humans. That's not the idea. Understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all existed way before we were, you know, created. And there's perfect love and friendship and community and delight in one another. And you can get books and read on the Trinity, and it's one of those things that, like, messes with your mind, but you go, oh my gosh, you worship one God who eternally exists in three, in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not one plus one plus one, that's three, but one times one times one, that's one, but three ones. You're trying to, like, understand this, but you just, either way, you kind of go, but God, there is perfect love and community and friendship, and you are this way, and you've made us to seek this out and be this way. See, so God created this way, and God is that way. And, and so here's the idea. Why community? Why, why this? Why, why all of this? Here's the big idea. The whole point of church, fellowship, community, teachings, prayers, communion, all of that is what? It is to be like Christ. It is Christ-likeness. The desire is that you and I would become, that we would enjoy Christ and be with Christ and become like him and do what he did. It is Christ-likeness. So why community? That is the goal. That cannot happen alone because Jesus didn't do that alone. The goal is Christ-likeness. So I want to just really quick share with you some benefits, some benefits of community. All right, some benefits of community. So what, goal is Christ-likeness. How do I get there? Here are some benefits of community. Can we talk about this? And they're going to be S words. Um, S words. Uh, so here's the words. One is this, sharpening. Why, why, why community? How does this benefit us? Sharpening. Here's the verse. It's Proverbs 27, 17. You know this. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Um, the idea to, uh, behind this is it's, it's not painless. It, it might be painful. Why community? You need someone to sharpen you, to make you more effective. What's an ax that's not sharp? What's the good of that? The idea is we need someone to sharpen us so we can be effective. And that might be painful, and there might be rubbing against each other, and that might be frustrating, but you don't pull away from that. When that rubbing happens, you don't run away and go, that's uncomfortable. You actually embrace it. Because God's like, I'm trying to actually smooth out some things in your life. I'm trying to do something in your life. Maybe you know what I'm talking about if you've been to church for a while, where you go, this is kind of painful, and I can just go somewhere else. It's like, no, the church's not Burger King. It's not McDonald's. It's not. The idea is, no, you stay in that pain, and God's trying to make you smooth out some areas in your life. So it's for sharpening. Number two is this, straightening. Straightening. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, and uh, verse through 13. <laughs> it says, beware, brethren. Listen. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the idea. He goes, hey, um, we have a tendency for our hearts to wander from God. Can I, can I just like say this? Like no one intentionally just walks away from God like a follower of Jesus, like right in that moment. Usually what happens is there's this drifting. Hebrews talks about this drifting that takes place. So you kind of begin to drift daily, daily, daily. When you're in community, what you really do have is this person who knows me and knows you and you are exhorting them daily, lest they develop an evil heart of unbelief. So you say, what's the point of community? How does this benefit me? How does this change me? Listen, this straightens out. I'm going down a path, and God's saying, walk this straight and narrow, and you need someone to say, you're going down a direction that's going to lead to a lot of pain, and I love you so much. I'll tell you that hard thing. And that helps straighten you out. It exhorts you. It encourages you. It builds you up. Uh, number three is this strengthening. The benefit of community is strengthening. Listen to Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. You and I in community have an opportunity to say, hey, are your hands weak? Are your knees tired? I'm here. 
it's Moses who has to like raise his hands to win the battle. And you have Joshua and, and you have Aaron or, or Aaron and her, and you have him holding his hands up and saying, you can do this, man, we're with you. We're going to strengthen your hands and your feeble knees. Can I tell you the point of community? You don't have to do life alone. It's like, hey, this is hard. I know. Do you know that we met yesterday with our community group leaders and it was so cool just like talk with them and go, how many families did you guys come around and like bless and give money to when you heard of a need? That's amazing. And there's one of those things that just go, God, you're so good. For people to say, I see a need, we want to meet it, we want to come together and surround that. It's for strengthening. Number four, listen to this, it's for stirring, for stirring. All right, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the idea, it's for stirring. So he says, don't forsake meeting. Don't forsake this. Don't forget the smaller, the smaller gatherings. Stir each other up for loving good words. When you get together, when you have the leader, because this will happen, your leader will say, hey guys, so in our group, you know, we get like a little budget to do outreaches together. Um, we want to go out and serve and love our community. The whole idea is they're trying to stir you up for loving good works. And don't be like, oh, I'm sick the day you do the outreach. I'm so sorry. It's like, no, this is the idea. The idea is like, we're going to stir each other for, up for love and for good works. And we're in. And do you, do you see what he says? Don't forsake. Don't leave. Guys, we need stability. Um, our family life needs stability. Our real, just day-to-day, every moment life needs stability. I think we have an epidemic of instability. We have the FOMO generation. We have the fear of commitment generation. We have the generation that's like, I don't want to miss out, so I'm not going to commit yet. I'm not sure if I'm there. There might be something better going on. We have that generation, and now more than ever, I believe like the church and what Jesus is saying, he's like, guys, be in it. For, don't forsake one another. Be all in. There used to be this Benedictine vow. It's called the vow of stability. I'm going to read it. It sounds, I know, really boring, but please listen. It's so good, and I'll give you another quote, too. Um, the Benedictine vow of stability. Listen, this is a real vow. They would say, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, and the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. (laughs) And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences for giving. You're like, decide, but it's so much easier just to leave. I know. This is, the idea. This is what the church is to just commit to. To say, and I, I'm not sure, like, I'm not going to make you take a benedict vow of stability right now. Don't worry about that. But let me, in case you're like, decide, that's a little intense. Let me just quote to you Ron Swanson talking to Leslie Nope about people who are coming in and out of her life. It's a guy from Parks and Rec. Listen to this. Um, sorry, just do this, but I'm doing it. He says, Ron Swanson to Leslie Nope, talking about her boyfriend. He's a tourist. He vacations in people's lives, takes pictures, puts them in his scrapbook, and moves on. All he's interested in are stories. Basically, Leslie, he's selfish and you're not. That's why you don't like him. I, this is a good friend to be like, you have people in your life who come and go and you need stability. This guy's not stable. He's not someone you have. He's toxic. And I think, church, how can we get to this? So if you don't like the Benedictine vow, you get this, you get this vow instead. My thing is, how do we actually say, no, we want stability. We need it. We crave it. God made us this way. Everything in life seems to be moving around and God's like, you need stability. You press in. You learn the practices of love and forgiveness as that vow goes. I love that. so good. And here's number three. Here's number three. How do we do this? So how do we do community? We see what it is. We see why we do it. But how do we do this? Um, I really went back and forth a lot in this. I'm going to do something I hate to do, like give lists of this. But I'm going to give you a top, just 10 things to do, and we're going to put them all up at once. Please, please don't lose sight of this. It's not that you have to memorize them, but just hear the heart of them. How do we actually do community? Number one, you see up here, is be present. 
It's impossible to do community alone. It's impossible to do anything like this when it's like, but they don't show up. I know, so show up. Just show up. Just start there. Just start there. Show up. All right, and once you show up, number two, it's just come ready with notes and questions, I'd say from this weekend. So we're actually going to have groups where we actually pray together. We actually study the apostles' doctrine together. We're going to eat food, and hopefully there's times too where we go, can we just celebrate Jesus' death? So we're going to try to do Acts 242 together in our group. So come, taking notes. So hopefully you have notes, you have questions. You're like, what did you say, Ron Swanson? Who's that? Like, write it down. Write it down, take notes, ask some questions, come to the meeting, come to that gathering, that small gathering with some insight. Number three is this, come ready to discuss. Some people just come, but they sit there and like, what are you going to do for me? Just come ready to discuss. Come ready to open up your heart a little bit. We'll talk about that, but just come ready to kind of go, I'm willing to put myself in a vulnerable spot, even though I've been hurt so many times. I know. I, we've been hurt many times too. Doesn't mean you've been hurt, so we just build up walls. We never open ourselves up to anyone else again ever in our lives. Come ready to discuss. Number four, come ready to listen and to learn. Um, don't just come ready to talk. So I want to make sure I clarified point number three. Come ready to listen. Come ready to learn. Come with a teachable spirit. Come with a humble spirit. Come ready to listen in that moment and say, Jesus, teach me. Number five, um, come ready to be challenged and to be offended. Come ready for someone to say something that will challenge you and maybe even offend you. Jesus said multiple times, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Why? Because if you think about it, Jesus said some offensive stuff sometimes. And the idea is you might be offended. And can I tell you, that might be a good thing in some ways. I'm not trying to say you, we should be hurtful to each other. But I might hear something I go, that goes against what I grew up with. Yeah. Jesus calls us to a life that's different than maybe the culture we grew up in. Not to a Western American culture. It's to a lifestyle of Jesus culture. And so come ready to be challenged and maybe offended even. Uh, number six, you're like, this sounds great, Josiah. You're a great um, <laughs> advertiser. I know, it's just tough. It's hard for me to be like, you should join a group. It's going to be hurtful and painful. Eh, isn't that great? I know, but it is. Okay, number six. Um, come ready to be encouraged and to encourage. Come ready to say, God, I ask that there be something said tonight that's gonna, that will happen. And come ready, not just going to let me you know, receive, but let me also encourage someone else, which leads to the seventh point, which is come ready to receive and give. If you come to community like, can I just be a consumer? Um, that will go nowhere. God is not trying to create more and more consumers. We already have that issue. That is the, Ameri that's, the American church is plagued. I am personally plagued with consumption. And God's like, I don't want you to be a consumer. I want you to be a giver. So you're going to come to give to the group. You might come to give just your emotions, your sympathy, your empathy, your money. You might come to give a lot to people in that group because that's what community and devotion looks like. Um, number eight is this, come ready to learn from Jesus and to do what he did. So come ready to say, we're not just talking about the Bible, we're going to do the Bible. Come ready to say, we're going to put ourselves under the Bible. Come ready to say, oh, wow, I have someone actually holding me accountable. This is not just like in theory anymore. They're actually calling me and going, and did you? Get purity in this area. You, you might actually have that. That is a beautiful thing. So come ready to do the lifestyle of Jesus. And number nine is this, come as you are. Please do not think for a second. I'll go to community once I really understand what, don't do that. Jesus took some fishermen who are Galileans, who are the unlearned and uneducated and looked down upon people. And he's like, I'm going to make you to be the men that change the kingdom forever. And they're like, huh? Like me? And yes, you, come as you are. Just come as you are. I plead with you, do not try to fix yourself up. That's what community is there to be that support that you and I need. Uh, number 10 is this, come consistently. Because if you come once or twice, you come, I went for two months, come consistently. Come when it's painful, come when it's beautiful. It, it is the hardest thing to, like I said, it's kind of bookend, be present and be consistent. You gotta be there and you gotta be there more, more than three times. You might have to be there for three years. Disciples were three years of just arguments and annoying. They probably rubbed each other the wrong way all the time. But you know, three, just I'm committed, I'm committed to this. So here's what I want to look at. Let me ask you guys some questions. 
Because if you hear this message and it doesn't like lead to anything, there's, it's pointless. So let me just ask you some questions. Do you have people in your life that you can express your thoughts to without fear of looking like an idiot? <laughs> Do you have people in your life you can be like, I can tell you this, I question or, and you go, hey, that's, thank you so much for that question. You're accepted here, that's a beautiful question. Let's answer that. Um, have you given anyone in your life an open door to point out sins in your life? Can anyone look in your eyes and say, I love you, this is a sin, and you're going against the will of God, and if you repent, God will redeem and restore and renew and make this beautiful, but do you have anyone who can say the hard thing to you? This is what we want to see happen in the community. Um, do you have anyone who encourages you? We're not just there to be like these spiritual police and say, ah, sin. We're here to say, let's encourage each other. Let's just be, come alongside and say, I love you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to encourage you. Number four, do you encourage, challenge anyone? Do you do that? Do you get to encourage? I want to speak life into them. I want to encourage them. Do you have that? And we're going through these quickly. Number five, do you discuss scriptures consistently with a group of people and then apply the scripture immediately? Do you have that? If you hear the message, most likely it won't be applied. You might need to get with other people and say, let's do this and let's do this together. Number six, are you the type of person that will listen and consider when other people are speaking? Are you a good listener? Number seven, do you share life with people from all different backgrounds? I love that we have some unique groups that are maybe more catered to one area or age group or demographic like Pompano, whatever, that's great. But we also have some groups that are different and like just the age, I love that. I love that you can have a 19-year-old with a 55-year-old or 60 I love that because they need each other, we need each other. Do you share life with people from different backgrounds, ethnicities? We absolutely need that. That is the church of Jesus. Here's what I wanna end with. Jesus showed us how to do this. John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Church, Jesus laid down his life for us, and he says, you're my friends. I'm calling you now to lay down your life for each other. It'll be painful, it'll be sacrificial, it'll be a lot. Listen, I know there's a lot here. Here's what I wanna do. I want you now to mix up. We're not gonna close out with worship today, specifically. We're gonna close out with, I want you to hear a couple testimonies of just people who are leaders in groups or been a part of group. I'm gonna call them up here, and we're gonna share for a couple minutes, and then we're gonna pray over our leaders. So just bear with me. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna call leaders up to come up here, and while we do that, we have like a little video that we've used uh, just to kind of film some groups, like here's what God's done the last few months within groups. And I want you to see that, just kind of the life, the life in a group. So we're gonna play the video. I'm gonna call the leaders up. Can we play that video? Is that ready? And the leaders come up.